Good morning. This is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. Good morning, y'all. It's 9, 10 a.m. It is, uh, God, June the 5th, 2019. This is episode 103 of Bitcoin and... <coughs> And I'm getting over uh, bronchitis. Ah, oh, man, it was kind of rough. Ah, bleh. So anyway, uh, sorry I had to drop a rerun on you guys uh, Monday, but it just couldn't be helped. Uh, there was just a uh, feeling really, really, really bad. And voice was kind of, you know, blown out and the whole ball of wax. So I do apologize, but... You know, I'm human, so I I get sick every once in a while, and I got sick more times this year than I ever have been in a single year. It's really weird. I I chalk it up for the to the fact that I moved 120 some odd miles away from where I've lived for like 20 years, um, and I'm my immune system is probably being I don't know irradiated by almost everything that it has never that it hasn't seen before. Uh, so it probably got confused and, and some other stuff slipped through the cracks and lo and behold, I've got, I've had bronchitis not once, but twice this year. So there's that. Um, let's get started with, uh, uh, community news. Azteco is tweeted, has tweeted out yesterday. The first of our vendors is up and running. You can now buy Azteco vouchers in Kampala, Uganda at, Muyenga Hill. More vendors are coming and we'll announce them as they open. Check out our vendor locator at, and they give their website address to their vendor map and stay tuned for more announcements. Now going to that uh, link, we find a world map and there is not one vendor, but it appears that there are one, two, three, four, five, six vendors. Uh, there's one in, looks like Saudi Arabia. There's one in India. Let's see, where is this, this other one? Okay, there's two in India, there's one in Dubai, there's the one that in uh, uh, Uganda and the United Kingdom, and it looks like the other one is over in Brazil, uh, Sao Paulo. Nice. So Azteco has finally been rolling out their vendors. They've been, I think Azteco's uh, Twitter uh, Twitter handle is was started in 2011, Something like that. So this has been a long wait, but I'm really excited. Um, I'm never probably, I would not never. It's going to be a while before I actually get a, a chance to even buy a Azteco voucher because they're not planning on opening anything up in the United States because of our SEC and regulations and, and the fact that we apparently don't like doing business with anybody ever because everybody's either a uh, a uh, drug trafficker, uh, a par- uh, assassination markets, or a terrorist, or 
you know, some other kind of scum of the earth. And that's why we have all these regulations because apparently everybody in the world is that kind of scum of the earth. So we, we must protect ourselves for the, for God's sakes, y'all make it so difficult to do anything ever. Uh, okay. Getting up into the stack and we're off with, um, wait, hold on. Okay. Yeah. This is what I was looking for. Ex-Bitmain CEO to launch new business within a month with his former employer as a key client. <laughs> as if, oh God. Okay, so this is from the Block Crypto. Uh, this is by Isabel Woodford uh, writing today at 8.54 a.m. Details about, <coughs> sorry guys, details about former Bitmain's CEO Jihan Wu's newest venture haven't been particularly forthcoming, but four sources close to the Chinese business mogul say Matrix, his new crypto services business, is around a month away from going live. And while Matrix is said to be in conversations with prospective clients globally, its biggest customer will be Bitmain itself, the giant Bitcoin mining firm which filed to, filed to list publicly in Hong Kong. The assumption is that Matrix will offer custody and lending services to Bitmain, which generates an enormous volume of crypto assets as a miner, while in turn attracting a liquid pool for its over-the-counter offering. Quote, put it this way, they will be the biggest OTC desk and asset manager in the world overnight, end quote, said one source who works closely with investors in Asia. With liquidity like that, low prices follow, they said, noting that Matrix should have a competitive advantage in the region as the Asian market is a lot more price sensitive. The news may come as a surprise as it was previously believed that Matrix originated from a rift between Wu and Bitmain co-founder McCree Zahn, but it now seems the exodus of Beijing-based Bitmain staff and resources may have been an intentional and part of a wider strategic plan with Cynthia Wu, Bitmain's investment director, working closely with Matrix. Quote, relations are great between the two, in quotes, one source close to the key players noted. They also explained that Bitmain began building a trading and custody division in internally before deciding there was a business opportunity to spin it off into a separate legal entity in February. Bitmain did not respond to requests for comment. It is unclear what role Wu will hold at Matrix, although he is said to be currently running it as, quote, chairman, according to two sources. A Chinese media outlet reported that Wu was eventually set to take charge of the project as CEO. Wu is also still a director at Bitmain and continues to hold a 20.5% stake in the firm, which saw a $500 million loss in the quarter, uh, third quarter of 2018. Wu and his co-founder are among the wealthiest individuals in crypto, both billionaires. However, one source alluded that Matrix might be part of the founder's exit strategy as they are under political pressure not to liquidate their shares in Bitmain. As for Matrix's relationship with the Chinese government, which currently has a sweeping ban over crypto trading, it is yet to be seen whether the two will liaise. Matrix will likely have an offshore holding company, but some suspect it may eventually be granted a monopoly to operate in China as part of the government's wish to have greater oversight over the underground market there. However, another source familiar with the local government suspects that any official thumbs up would be much more subtle. It's more of a, if we, can beat, if we can't beat them, how do we direct them attitude, they noted, 
adding that the government was a long way off giving overt approval to anyone. Still, whether or not Matrix can operate in China, the region is set for a major new player competing with international incumbents like Coinbase and BitMEX. Quote, this is going to make Asia the new center of gravity for crypto OTC, concluded one source. So there you go. I don't even really know how to how to process that one. Uh, I could, you know, we could look at it as conspiratorial, I suppose. But it, I just, I don't, I don't know. I don't see this as some kind of weird ruse that they've been plotting, you know, over the last year or whatever uh, to make it look like Jihan was having a falling out with Bitmain. I, you don't need to do that kind of thing if you're going to launch a company. So. I don't think it was. I don't think it was some kind of covert thing. I think it's just uh, things that billionaires do. Anyway, uh, you know, we're lo- as you know, somebody who lives in the United States. What it you know what it does signal to me is that the United States is losing continuous ground. Cont- we are losing continuous ground in an industry in a nascent industry that's going to be worth trillions of dollars one of these days. Um, the stupidity of the regulators in the United States by not um, basically, not, I don't want to say put a stranglehold on the whole industry. Um, Yet yeah, they still have, we, the United States still has every possibility to, to get our big fat meaty hooks into this thing. And nobody seems to be really willing to do it at the regulatory level. So, China's probably going to end up being the kingpin of all this unless somebody wants to, you know, the regulators in the United States want to relax a little bit and not assume everybody is trying to get somebody killed on an assassination market, trying to buy illegal drugs, or being a terrorist, or money laundering. As soon as we figure out that not, that hardly, that there are very few people in the world that actually do that kind of shit, then maybe we'd have a shot at, you know, getting into this thing on the ground floor. But the more time, you know, the more that the more they tighten their grip, the more time slips through their fingers. So we'll just have we'll just have to see Um, what else is going. Oh, God, the scribed news. Okay, this is going to be really ugly to read, but, you know, we got to do it. It's about fake Toshi. The copyright for the Satoshi white paper is already causing trouble. This is uh, from John Biggs, writing May the 31st, 2019. This is out of Coindesk.com. Craig Wright's copyright registration of the original Bitcoin white paper is starting to create ripple effects. On May 28th, Scribd, or Scribd, a service for posting downloadable documents on the internet, notified Coindesk that it had pulled down our copy of the Satoshi Nakamoto white paper, Quote, this is a notification that Scribe's book ID copyright protection system has disabled access to Bitcoin white paper. This does not necessarily mean that an infringement has occurred or that you have done anything wrong, the company wrote in a terse email. This was the link in question, and they give a link. A plain, unmodified copy of the Satoshi white paper. I also uploaded a copy calling it a musical production of the white paper. Scribe did not pull mine down, though it should, although it should theoretically be covered by uh, Wright's copyright. As we noted before, 
While Wright did register the copyright for the white paper, this means absolutely nothing unless someone contests the copyright in court. However, because systems like Book ID most likely ping the U.S. copyright database, copies of the white paper will be dinged on public services. The chilling effects of this are very real. While in our specific case, there is little concern <clears throat> the white paper will ever disappear. It will be here forever. And and this is me talking now. That's actually a link. Uh, so if you like, you know, if you go to the Coinbase uh, or the, the CoinDesk article that I'm reading, it will be here forever is a link to where they've got it. They've got the white paper. So it will be here forever or until Coindesk servers melt down. The loss of access could have far-reaching and unintended consequences. What's more, anyone can register a copyright for almost anything. Copyright and patent trolling are already rampant in other parts of tech, and it's clear blockchain is next. As for <clears throat> Coindesk's particular problem, everything seems back to normal for now. Jason Bentley, legal operations manager at Scribe, wrote, our team has reviewed your response and has determined that Scribe's book ID copyright protection system likely misidentified your content as infringing. We have restored your content and accompanying metrics. It may take several minutes for restored documents to reappear on Scribe. Book ID is part of Scribe's diverse efforts to reinforce the rights of intellectual property rights holders. The volume of contents in our copyright database prohibits us from proactively reaching out to uploaders before content is disabled. We apologize for any inconvenience this has caused, and thank you for using Scribed. <coughs> so, okay, yeah, so Craig's uh, antics are, you know, are having effects. Um, it, I, it's, it's such a shit show out there, it's not even funny with Craig. But... There, you know, th this article, you know, is is correct. Patent trolling has been rampant for decades, and it uh, the Electronic F uh, Frontiers Foundation has been warning as of late that there's uh, some apparently some potential legislation in the United States that, if approved, would make it even easier for patent trolling to occur, and you know, jamming up the court system with this kind of garbage is, I don't know, I think it's reprehensible. You know, we've been promised tort reform and, um, to get some kind of relaxation from, like, you know, being able to sue anyone, anywhere for anything and actually be taken seriously. We've been promised that a reform of that system for a while. I don't think it's forthcoming, uh, which is just absolutely too bad. But this is good news. Um, I came across Get, get Pay, I think that's the way it's pronounced. It's G-E-T-P-E-I.com. Uh, and it looks like it, it sort of does what uh, Lolly does. Uh, there, basically, it says, unlock cash back in Bitcoin or cash. And they have an app. Okay, so you, apparently you get the app, link your debit and credit card, and then you spend as you would at thousands of your favorite spots. Receive automatic cash back re rewards in Bitcoin or cash. So it looks like you kind of get this app, you load up your credit card information, um, and then you apparently buy whatever you're going to buy with your credit cards. And this app receives Bitcoin back as a reward for, for using it. So the difference here is that in Trilolly, um, you have to kind of like shop at their vendor's website with the Lolly extension enabled here, apparently, I can just 
I don't know. Uh, not exa- There's a whole bunch of them. The, they're, the streaming, there's a, a list of vendors that are streaming, and it's like Chipotle, Target, Chick-fil-A, Cold Stone, Taco Bell, Hooters, Trader Joe's, American Eagle, Supercuts, In-N-Out Burgers, Little Caesars, Petco, Nordstrom's. And it just, the list, it's a fairly long list. GameStop is on there. You know, Walgreens, Foot Locker. <coughs> so this is cool. Um, I have not tried it out. I am probably going to try it out um, just to see, you know, what happens. But more and, you know, there's more and more people that are looking at Bitcoin in this way that it's like a reward, you know, that it can be used as a rewards program. And I think it would be dangerous for us to go, oh, well, that means that Bitcoin is just going to become a rewards thing. No, 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 no. I think what it means is that Bitcoin is is probably one of these things that in biology, there's this uh, this notion of uh, totipotent um, and like uh, bone marrow cells, like deep in your bone marrow cells are still fairly totipotent, which means that under the right circumstances, that cell can become a liver cell or a heart muscle cell or neuron or it can become almost any kind of cell because it hasn't been quote unquote programmed to be a certain thing. And I think Bitcoin is sort of that way. It's like it can be totipotent and it can be a store of value and it can be a medium of exchange and it can be um, a rewards program and it can be all these other things that we can't even think of yet. And really it's going to be like Bitcoin is sort of in the eye. What is Bitcoin? It's in the eye of the beholder. It is apparently whatever the hell it is you want it to be. So awesome. Awesome. Watchtowers are coming to lightning all along the watchtowers from Colin Harper writing out of Bitcoin magazine on June the 3rd, 2019. The eye of Sauron casts its gaze upon the lightning network. <laughs> this is how lightning lab CTO uh, roast beef was, has heralded the coming of watchtowers in the lightning to the lightning network. Though comparing the technical feature to the d- demonic gaze of Tolkien's primary antagonist sounds disconcerting, the analogy holds up on the surface. Watchtowers, as the name implies, will keep an eye on lightning network channels and potential bad actors. Why the need for them? Well, if you're using a custodial lightning wallet, there isn't one. But if you're running your own channels with your own node, then there's the slim but conceivable chance that the party on the other side of your channel could cheat you when the channel is closing. For instance, say Molly has a channel with Angela and they each deposit 10,000 Satoshis into it for a total of 20,000 Satoshis. During the channel's lifetime, Angela pays Molly 5,000 Satoshis, bringing the total to 15,000 Satoshis for Molly and 5,000 for Angela. But suddenly, for whatever reason, Molly is unable to access her Lightning wallet. Maybe her node is offline, her computer has a malfunction, or she's on vacation. So Angela decides to be a bit mischievous. When it comes time to broadcast the final state of the channel to the blockchain, she decides to broadcast the first state of the channel, the original 10,000 Satoshi balances that they both deposited, to cheat Molly out of what she was paid. Since Molly is on a remote island in the Gulf of Mexico... and not at her computer, she can't check Angela's bad behavior and verify the actual state of the channel. So she loses 5,000 Satoshis. Not the end of the world, but still a bummer. Watchtowers effectively neutralize this threat by monitoring payment channels, 
and the blockchain to make sure acts of fraud don't slip through unnoticed. They work like this. Every time a channel's state is updated, the payment produces an encrypted blob <laughs> for each channel user, which it basically which is basically a secret signature that corresponds to the user's public key and sends it to the watchtower. At the same time, the watchtower receives half of the transaction ID of the channel's previous state, and this acts as a as a decryption key for the blob. The watchtower stores all of these blobs and decryption keys within its database. So if an impish actor tries to broadcast an, old, an older state to the mempool, the watchtower will see that the transaction ID matches up with the other transaction ID half it holds. Now that it has both halves of the transaction ID, the watchtower can decrypt the corresponding blob and punish the bad actor by sending the funds to the honest channel user's wallet. All of this can be done without the watchtower knowing who the channel users are and how much is being transacted in the channel beforehand. Parentheses. Obviously, once the transaction is broadcasted on chain, the public key and the fund amount is revealed in parentheses. They don't know anything about a client payment's, client's payment history. Instead, the client sends them the encrypted blob that can be only be decrypted if a breach actually happens, Roast Beef told Bitcoin Magazine. Technical innovators have floated the concept for a while, but Lightning Labs, Lightning Network Daemon, LND, implementation of the technology is the first production-ready iter uh, ready iteration available, although Roast Beef said that it is still very much in its infancy. It can, it can be used on mainnet as is today, but it's still in an early phase. We've been running the set of changes on our nodes for a few months now, but only until this week did we put out the public pull request, he told Bitcoin Magazine. In the initial rollout, the default version features so-called altruistic watchtowers, meaning that they operate without promise of payment for their services. Roast Beef said that it will also feature an operational basic <clears throat> basic reward watchtower, which would allow the watchtower to charge a fee if it acts on a breach. But this has to be activated manually. The service, Roast Beef continued, is opt-in for both clients and the watchtower operators themselves, and clients have to manually search for towers if they want to make use of them. In the future, the team plans to implement an automatic discovery system to streamline this process. While the initial version will rely on the good graces of watchers to keep users honest, free of charge, Lightning Labs has a three-stage plan for letting watchers monetize their service. The first is the altruistic phase, followed by a reward system, which will be variable depending upon market factors like how much watchtowers charge and how much clients are willing to pay. Lastly, Lightning Labs is devising a mechanism that will allow users to prepay for a given number of backups of their payment channel states. When it is integrated, it will probably resemble a Chaumian scheme where you pay via Lightning to acquire blinded tokens redeemable at the tower. God, this is weird, man. Connor Fromchnecht, head of cryptographic engineering at Lightning Labs, told Bitcoin Magazine. This token scheme, Fromchnecht, I cannot pronounce that, Fromnecht is probably the way it's probably German, Fromnecht, continued, also has some nifty, uh, nifty uses for whitelisting participants while maintaining privacy. If a watchtower operator only wanted to serve their friends, for instance, they could authenticate users up front, but from then on, it wouldn't be able to pinpoint which users are renewing or backing up the tower. Because the tokens are blinded and payments can't be traced to a particular user, Roast Beef said 
<clears throat> that the primary cost for running a watchtower is storage, though the one terabyte hard drive users would need to run a Lightning Note are fairly cheap at 40 bucks, and the Blobs watchtowers need to store are only a few hundred bytes. Now, depending on how many channels a watchtower decides to monitor, this data burden becomes heavier. One channel obviously requires less space than 100 or 1,000 channels would. Still, storage space is a bit of a trade-off, roast beef said. One of the sacrifices storage <clears throat> for privacy, uh, bleh, one that sacrifices storage for privacy since, quote, the tower doesn't know which channel it's watching, so it ends up using more storage space, end quote. Another tricky piece of building the technology, he said, is finalizing the automatic discovery protocol for finding towers and devising the eCash token so towers can be paid for each state update. Right now, they can only be paid if they catch a user cheating. Another hurdle is hash time locked contracts, or HTLCs, from Nect Expressed. For the first release, only manual clo- manually closing channels can be monitored for the sake of privacy and efficiency. Lightning Lab Labs plans to support add support for HTLC monitoring in the future, although <clears throat> which will prevent an attacker from claiming them after the relative time lock elapses. From next said. Still, even with this room for improvement, the implementation is a big step toward making lightning safer and trustless. With with what's implemented in the to be merged pull request, any routing node, application, or business on the network can start to run their own private tower to back up their public node. This can be a standalone instance or a more advanced deployment on dedicated soft hardware, Roastbeef said. So the best case scenario with this technology actually is that every user has their own eye of Sauron watching over the lightning channels in the future. And that's actually a very good thing. And that's going to end it for that one. Um, So I think it's like Vortex is already starting to use the terminology BTCLN stack, uh, which I think is good. Um, And, and here we go with, you know, an extension of the LN side of that, uh, of that stack with these watchtowers. So it looks like, you know, it looks like what we should be looking for in the future is a node that has a Bitcoin full node, uh, a lightning node, um, and um, like a BTC pay server. Um, yeah, there, and there's a couple of other things. And then have, have that same node be able to act function as a watchtower um, and just have it in a box, just like, you know, like, like a nodalit or something like that. Um, so I would, I would be looking for, uh, updates on these, on these nodes, uh, that have all this stuff to be adding watchtowers, uh, probably not, not too far off. Uh, it looks like it's getting pretty close. Let's see what's going on here. We have an op-ed from, uh, Kyle Torpy about, uh, debunking uh, Bitcoin Ponzi myths. <coughs> Let's see what what he says. Kyle usually is is pretty good at this kind of stuff. So on June 3rd, writing for Bitcoin Magazine, he says, The accusation that Bitcoin is nothing more than a Ponzi scheme is perhaps the oldest, longest-standing criticism of the digital bearer asset. The basic idea is that there is nothing of value here, and the entire purpose of Bitcoin's existence is to enrich Satoshi Nakamoto and the speculators who bought in for a few pennies or dollars in the early days by tricking others into buying in at a higher price. 
The key characteristic of a Ponzi scheme is, is that returns promised to early investors in a non-existent enterprise are paid out with money put into the scheme by later investors. These sorts of scams fall apart when there are simply no new people to scam into investing in the project. At that point, the early investors stop receiving a return on their initial investment, and it becomes clear the whole scheme was based on lies and deceit rather than some sort of legitimate investment strategy or product. Bitcoin is clearly not a Ponzi scheme for two key reasons. One, Bitcoin exists to provide real value and utility to its users. And two, Bitcoin does not require new investment to keep working. I've already debunked the argument regarding Bitcoin's supposed lack of intrinsic value in a separate article, but it's important to cover that again as it's also part of the Ponzi scheme claim. In a Ponzi scheme, there is no product, business plan, or investment strategy that leads to returns. Instead, the money is paid to pay old investors come from new investors. With Bitcoin, investors are simply utilizing or speculating on the price of digital money. Over the years, Bitcoin has illustrated its value as apolitical digital money, and those who are buying it today are using it as money, or at least as a store of value. Additionally, Bitcoin doesn't need new users to enter the system at all for current users to benefit. Notably, Bitcoin's current 3.8% percent emission rate will drop to around 1.9 percent after next year's halving event in a world with that low rate of supply growth and a constant user base no old users leave and no new users arrive a bitcoin user should be able to purchase more goods and services than they could with that same bitcoin a few years earlier to the inevitable increased efficiencies of the global economy provided by improvements in technology and other factors in other words Bitcoin would be providing real utility as a store of value in this hypothetical scenario. It should be also be remembered that Bitcoin's emission rate will continue to be cut in half every four years until all of the Bitcoin that will ever exist has been minted, at which point the emission rate becomes 0%. Many different arguments have been made around Bitcoin as a Ponzi scheme over the years, but the one made by Nobel Prize winning economist and New York Times columnist Paul Krugman in January 2018 is perhaps the perfect example for debunking another aspect of the Ponzi scheme claim. In his post on the matter, Krugman pointed to the words of fellow Nobel laureate Robert Schiller and referred to Bitcoin as nothing more than a bubble that would eventually end badly for everyone holding the asset. Quotes. But what about the fact that those who did buy Bitcoin early have made huge amounts of money? Well, people who invested with Bernie Madoff also made lots of money, or at least seemed to, for a long time. As Robert Schiller, the world's leading bubble expert, points out, asset bubbles are like naturally occurring Ponzi schemes. Early investors in a bubble make a lot of money as new investors are drawn in, and those profits pull in even more people. The process can go on for years before something, a reality check or a simple exhaustion of the pool of potential marks, brings the party to a sudden painful end. End quote. What Krugman writes here isn't wrong. But the key issue with his argument is that it also applies to every other form of money, including his favored U.S. dollar. As AngelList co-founder Naval Ravikant has said in the past, money is a bubble that never pops. It should be remembered that the U.S. dollar was bootstrapped as a money through through an initial tie to gold. 
there was at least some connection between U.S. dollars and gold and until then U.S. President Richard Nixon closed the gold window in 1971. With this in mind, it's useful to take Krugman's argument against Bitcoin and apply them to gold. Sure, gold has some non-monetary use cases, electronics, jewelry, but the vast majority of its value comes from the widespread speculation that it is useful as money or as at least as a store of value. In other words, those who were early to see gold's value as a form of money benefited as the point of as that point of view became more prevalent around the world. Now what does that sound like? So Krugman is correct to bring up the naturally occurring Ponzi scheme argument when it comes to Bitcoin. And the initial mo- International Monetary Fund has also made that claim in the past. <clears throat> the gold Ponzi scheme was ori- was the original basis for the United States dollar's value. And now its value is based on the United States government's ability to properly manage the world's most liquid and popular reserve currency. Will that last forever? History indicates that it won't. This means on a long enough time scale, the U.S. dollar is a Ponzi scheme, too. <laughs> nice. Uh, th- thank you. Thank you, Kyle. This is, um, oh, yeah, local Bitcoin. I know you guys have seen this, but local Bitcoin has stopped cash trades uh, and personal offers on its platform. This is Landon Manning writing yesterday uh, for Bitcoin Magazine. He says, multiple users have reported that crypto trading platform Local Bitcoins has stopped allowing customers to make in-person trades of crypto assets for cash in an anonymous fashion. Reddit user U Gray Life's uh, sorry, Reddit user Gray Lives first posted about this development on June 1st, 2019, claiming that cash ads were removed from the platform without warning. A wide range of other users con- uh, concurred, stating that all local ads are hidden or deleted for the entire site without any option to search for possible traders nearby. All my local trade ads are missing, user Scott Mick uh, claimed. How can it even be called local bitcoins anymore? One of the largest peer-to-peer crypto exchanges in the world, local Bitcoins has encountered a wide array of legal difficulties in the past several months. Based in Finland, the company began mandating that customers fill out KYC information in late March, breaking with the site's long-running tradition of allowing anonymity. The rule change was made only after new legislation was passed by the Finnish parliament. As an international company, however, local Bitcoins has found itself beholden to more regulatory forces than those of its home country alone. On May 24th, the company announced that it is making a complete withdrawal of all services from Iran, banning Iranian users from using the platform. Considering the new wave of sanctions that the United States has imposed on the country, local Bitcoins likely pulled out largely to avoid running afoul of legal troubles with the United States government. Local Bitcoins has attracted regulatory scrutiny from the U.S. regardless, however, and this may help to explain this major shift in the exchange's business model. In April, ni- in April 2019, the Department of Justice sentenced a man to fines and prison time for running an unlicensed exchange and then did the same to a second man in late May. In both cases, the DOJ specifically noted that these men advertised their businesses to area traders on LocalBitcoins.com. And considering that these businesses are now formally considered illegal, it seems obvious that the exchange would want to avoid running into trouble itself. Following the apparent change at local Bitcoin, Reddit users began looking for alternative services, although it's unclear how the company will adapt 
to the existing ecosystem of conventional crypto exchanges, the company's original model has been thoroughly dismantled at this point. All right, guys. So I've said it before. I'm just going to say it again. If you look like you can be regulated, if you have a door with a freaking address on it, if you have your personal name attached to a company that does something that looks like it can be regulated, it's going to get regulated. I'm actually surprised it took this long for local Bitcoins to go this route. I, I, I seriously am. Am I happy about it? No, of course I'm not happy about it. It's ridiculous. Uh, again, this is the United States government proving that it's never going to be able to take part of, you know, in any respectable fashion other than regulating the shit out of people from other countries, which I still don't get, um, that it's never going to take any kind of, you know, really neat part of this new industry and that we're going to end up being a backwater of currency where for like, you know, 75 years we we have been the world's currency and yet we're not going to take any part of this. We're just not going to take any part of it. And so, you know, rip us dollar. Um, you know, I'm sorry, but it's just, you know, it's like Kyle was saying, it's good. It's bound to happen, man. On a long enough, on a long enough time scale, I guess everything is a Ponzi, including Bitcoin, but that would be a long time for Bitcoin. And we're, we're, I mean, you know, when Nixon took us off the dollar or uh, took, took us off the gold peg and there really wasn't one by that time, Woodrow Wilson had pretty much, I think it was Wilson that, that made it illegal to, to hold gold. And anyway, so in, in, it doesn't matter in either event. It's not surprising this happened. I don't like the fact that this happened, but if you, if you are something that looks like it can be regulated, you will be regulated. It's going to happen. The only, th- the, you know, the reaching for decentralization is seen, needs to be sort of like the, I don't know, like Star Trek's prime directive. The prime directive in Bitcoin should be decentralization of all the things, not blockchaining all the things. Decentralize as much as you possibly can so that things can't be regulated or that, you know, that might be, you know, be able to be like voluntarily regulated if you so choose. But, <coughs> it, you know, it's, it, it, the more decentralized, all I'm saying is the more decentralization, the better, better. And yeah, that's, that's all I got to say about that because it looks like Mark Carpellis is up to his old tricks. This is out of uh, the blockcrypto.com. This is as of this morning, former Mt. Gox CEO registers new blockchain project in Japan. That's right, people. Mark Carpellis, former CEO of defunct crypto exchange Mt. Gox, is starting from zero with the new blockchain cloud company, the, the Associated Press reports. Following the exchange's major hack and subsequent collapse in 2015, Carpellis was arrested and spent 11 months in a Japanese detention. But in March this year, he was cleared of fraud and embezzlement charges, leaving one conviction for tampering with records, which he is appealing. While the final verdict is not expected until later this year, Carpellis is already building a new blockchain-based operating system, Tristan Technologies Company. He has registered the company in Japan, where he will act as CTO. Oh, God, no. And says his plan is to help the country become a leader in blockchain technology. Quote, Japan used to be an engineering superpower in terms of its PCs, but right now, Taking the cloud, for example, it's the U.S. that dominates, but I still believe in the potential Japan has and would like to develop that. 
While cautious of cryptocurrency's risks, he says he still believes blockchain technology has a lot to offer and multiple uses, including cashless payment systems, cloud solutions, and smart contracts. If Carpellis's appeal for manipulating electronic data fails, he could face up to 10 years in prison. Ooh, yeah. God, I didn't know it was going to be another 10 years. Jeez, Louise, dude. Um, well, we'll see about that part, but this is stupid. <laughs> you might, I mean, it's, it's like, you know, bananas on the blockchain. It's at this point, anybody who says I've got a blockchain solution for that, that's the person you immediately turn around or turn away from and, and just walk away. Just seriously, dude, just walk away. Um, because you're going to get into shit like this. Out of Reuters, uh, writing as of June 3rd, 2019, Care4 says blockchain tracking boosted sales of some products. This is writing out of Berlin. French retailer Care4 SA has been has seen sales boosted by the use of blockchain leader te- ledger technology to track meat, milk, and fruit from farms and stores and will extend it to more popular products to increase shopper trust, an executive said on Monday. Blockchain's digital tracking technology <laughs> hurts to read, allows customers to see detailed information on products like when it was harvested or packed, reassuring them on the quality of the items they buy and allowing them to avoid products with genetically modified organisms, antibiotics, or pesticides if they want. Carefor has launched blockchain information for 20 items, including chicken, eggs, raw milk, oranges, pork, and cheese. And we'll add 100 more this year with a focus on areas where consumers want reassurance like baby and organic products. Quote, you are building a halo effect. If I can trust Carefor with this chicken, I can also trust Carefor for their apples or cheese. End quote, says Emmanuel Delerme, Carefor's blockchain project manager, told Reuters at a conference. Okay, I'm going to stop there because this is making me gag. Again. The only thing that you can trust to be on a blockchain is the actual block and transactions made within the block. Hey, just because I upload, hey, this chicken with this UPC code and, and maybe this RFID code and, and, and this barcode um, came from this farm, you're, you, what you're doing is you're depending on me to accurately reflect where that chicken came from at the incept at the very beginning of this, when this chicken was harvested, you're trusting something somewhere to tell you where it came from. Now, once that information is in a blockchain and it's been, you know, it's like, you know, six blocks, 10 blocks, a hundred blocks back, um, the chances of that information being reorganized to say something else is pretty damn slim. So where am I going to reorganize the actual information? Right at the start. If I'm a nefarious actor, I'm going to lie about where the hell that chicken came from. Stop it, people. Stop it. Blockchain will is not going to solve this shit. Okay? This is this is not this isn't where blockchain happens. Okay? This is this is not what it's for. It's for something completely entirely different. It is not to track where the hell your bananas came off the boat at. Okay? Stop it. Um, let's see here. Yep, I think that's going to do it for today. Uh, That it will do it for your morning roundup.
All right, vital statistics. We have Bitcoin at an average of $7,754. Looks like the high is going to be over at uh, Simex at $7,779. And the low is going to be at, uh, looks like Coinbase Pro has got it listed at $7,682. 381,000 transactions were made over the last 24 hours with an average transaction per hour of 16,000. <coughs> 2.14 million BTC have been sent over the last 24 hours with uh, 90,000 BTC averaging per hour. The average transaction value is 5.63 BTC and the median transaction value is 0.052 or for a right around $400 USD. And the block time is low. Gee, I wonder why. We'll find out. Uh, one looks like one BTC is being taken for uh, for fees on a per block basis, and 172 BTC have been taken uh, as a total fee over the last 24 hours. We have had a 23% increase in hash rate over the last 24 hours, and we are hovering around 5657 exahashes per second. The last uh, update or last commit to the GitHub uh, core repository was done on yesterday, it looks like. Left to right, Ethereum is at 241. Bcash is at 388. Litecoin is at 102. BSV is at 206. It just makes me sick thinking about those poor assholes. Ethereum Classic is at 7.9. Dogecoin is at 0.003. And Dogecoin... With 24,000 transactions per second or, or over the last 24 hours, has no hope in hell of catching either Bcash or BSV because they have both basically doubled uh, their transactions. But whatever. Anyway, that's going to do it for uh, your vital statistics. Marty's bit is for Tuesday, June the 4th, 2019, issue number 497, scaling with U3XO and state chains. And there's a, let's see, this little uh, screen cap here. We have introduced a hash-based dynamic accumulator and architecture for using this accumulator in the Bitcoin network. Nodes using the accumulator need only store a logarithmically sized representation of the U3XO set, greatly reducing storage space and disk seek times. The trade-off is the additional download requirements of inclusion proofs, but with the proof aggregation and caching, the increase is of manageable size. <coughs> By utilizing state chains, you can get open you you get to open and close channels off change chain at minimal cost. Is your channel too small? No problem. You can simply transfer your existing channel over to a larger UTXO. This can be particularly powerful considering it's hard to know ahead of time how much capacity will be needed in channel. Now you can cheaply experiment, and once you have a stable channel, you could choose to effortlessly move the channel over to the base layer by exiting from the state chain. So what does Marty have to say about all this? It feels as if we're being spoiled by, with an onslaught of dope scaling and privacy solutions all across the Bitcoin stack. In the last month alone, we've written about tap, uh, BIP, Taproot, TX Tenant, and Blockstream partnering together in Erlay. Three solutions that, if implemented, parentheses, TX, Tenant, and Blockstream Collab is already live, 
in parentheses, help make Bitcoin more scalable and more robust on our road towards sufficient decentralization. Well, it seems like the onslaught is rolling on as two more proposals were dropped on the world this week, each helping Bitcoin scale at different layers on the stack. First up, we have Utrexo, a proposal from Thaddeus Dreja, which would greatly reduce the amount of storage needed to store the UTX set of full nodes or four full nodes, making it, making it so it is easier to run a full node on relatively inexpensive hardware, which in turn may make it more likely that we can get a fully validating node in every household, a freaking dream. The way UTXO, the way UTXO reduces the storage burden of full nodes is by separating the network state size from storage requirements of individual machines. Using a hash-based accumulator to allow nodes to attach hash proofs to inputs when making a transaction, helping make Bitcoin nodes a lot more efficient. The trade-off here is that there will be more network traffic caused by the inclusion of the hashed proof in the net, in the transaction input, but Thaddeus explains that the effect of this trade-off can be minimized by certain aggregation methods. If the net net at the end of the day is the ability for more people to run and use full nodes, Uncle Marty is all about it. Next up, we have state chains, which aim to help Bitcoin via a second layer that would allow users to exchange UTXOs off-chain. The proposal for this was officially dropped this morning by Ruben Somson, who presented the idea at Breaking Bitcoin last year. State chains would come with different trade-offs than other two-layer or layer two scaling solutions like Lightning and Liquid, helping to supplement the argument that the other solutions giving Bitcoin users more optionality when transacting and building on the network. The way I understand this to work is that it is a two-of-two multi-sig setup with a state chain entity made up of a federation of, quote, members who have to sign N of M signatures to sign their key in the two of two setup and individual users who are able to pass a private key along a path to each other as they see fit off the bat. <clears throat> State chains seem crazy and in, crazy interesting to me because they are truly non-custodial, which protects state chain entities from legal recourse, inventing a second layer solution that is extremely hard to censor. In the off chain, in the off chance that a state chain entity doesn't sign a transaction, the user can always receive their Bitcoin on chain, making it so there is a very high unlikelihood that your TXOs will ever be frozen. It's small, incremental, boring changes like UTXO and state chain that get you, boy, all hot and bothered when observing Bitcoin's proliferation throughout our world and beyond. Shout out to Thaddeus and Ruben for moving us forward. Onward. Final thought. 28 may be the year I don't get away with using my student ID for discounts anymore. Very sad. Uh, you know, if you if you go work for, you know, any university um, as a staff, you get a staff ID card and it never expires. I still, you know, I still use mine all the time. So um, if, you know, if you need one, just go take a, you know, if you need to do that. Or if you're looking for like, you know, some work or something like that, and you can get in at a university at any level, um, dude, you get 10% off of damn near everything in that, in the town that that place is in. So just, just saying, anyway, thank you, Marty. We appreciate it. All right. Song today is from the Jimi Hendrix experience. 
And since we were talking about watchtowers and all this other stuff, here's all along the watchtower.
Daily Train Wrecked is brought to you by John McAfee. That's right, our boy's at it again. What's he doing? Well, John McAfee to roll out Freedom Coin. God, that's right, people. Uh, crypto enthusiasts, Bitcoin bull, antivirus software namesake, and 2020 United States presidential campaigner John McAfee is releasing his own independent cryptocurrency, according to an official Twitter post on May 29th. According to his website, on the announced cryptocurrency, the McAfee Freedom Coin will roll out sometime this fall. The McAfee Freedom Coin appears to aim for total isolation and independence from traditional currencies, assets, and exchanges in an effort to reach, quote, the holy grail of cryptocurrency, economic freedom. According to McAfee, these are the desired properties of the new currency. Quote, what is needed is a coin disconnected from fiat currencies and from other cryptocurrencies alike. A coin with zero cash in value, yet accepted universally, it is not based on any commodity, nor is it connected to the value or behavior of any external item or entity like you. The value of the coin will always be zero in relation to any other cryptocurrency, yet its natural market value is free completely to grow." End quote. As previously reported on Cointelegraph, McAfee said his plans to run for president of the United States in 2020 on a boat in international waters since he has purportedly been indicted by the United States Internal Revenue Service. McAfee has reportedly made no secret of his tax evasion, saying he has not filed taxes for eight years. His presidential campaign is also not a serious bid for the office, but rather a stated attempt to promote cryptocurrencies as a means to securing personal freedom for citizens. In recent news, McAfee said that he has discovered the identity of the mysterious Bitcoin creator Satoshi Nakamoto, who is purportedly a man living in the U.S. McAfee apparently was planning to out Nakamoto's identity, but has put his plan on pause per advice from his extradition lawyer, quote, The U.S. extradition request to the Bahamas is imminent. I met with Mario Gray, my extradition lawyer, and it is now clear that releasing the identity of Satoshi at this time could influence the trial and risk my extradition. I cannot risk that. I'll wait. And that's the end of this article from Cointelegraph brought to us by uh, Max Body, writing this on June the 3rd, 2019. Okay. <laughs> Everything about this is bad. Um, don't... You, I don't even know how to begin to describe what this is other than just it's, it's almost like somebody who doesn't know how to do anything, but market, you know, do marketing and advertising doesn't have anything else to do with his day. That that's what it looks like because this is complete bullshit. And that whole outing Satoshi Nakamoto thing. Um, oh yeah. So that's, yeah. If you were to do that, that would influence his extradition trial. Yeah. Yeah, don't believe a word this dude says, people. Anyway, uh, that's going to do it for your Daily Trainer Act. All right, Satoshi's Treasure. It looks like um, that on the Satoshi's Treasure front, it looks like uh, seven of the keys have definitely been found. And three keys um, are, it's unknown. They're listing it as unknown if they're found. So the unknown keys are the Earth key, the Audubon key, and the Clan key. 
<coughs> and as you know, the clan key was dropped on Sunday. Why do you know that? Because all the clues are dropped on Sunday. So let's read the clan, uh, clan coin. A blockchain is a chain of blocks. Clans are the essence of any hunt. Due to the incredible variety of skills required to win, a lone hunter has almost no chance of winning the hunt. Instead, the spoils will go to the strongest clan. Today's clue is a fun way to show your clan's cohesion and win in a truly unique or win a truly unique key. Step one: to start a chain, shoot a video of yourself outside making your clan's secret gesture. <laughs> Secret handshake, I guess. This can be anything you want, so get creative. But everyone in the chain must use the same gesture to be counted. Post the video on Twitter with the following hashtags. Hashtag Satoshi Treasure, hashtag Clan Chain. The name of your clan, e.g. hashtag Cat Clan, and the block number, e.g. number 44. Step two, to extend this chain, the next person should have someone shoot a video of them holding a phone, playing the previous video in the chain, and making the same secret gesture, and then quote tweet the previous block in the chain with hashtags, clan name, and the block number. Step three, same as step two, but this time, the next clan member should be showing the video from step two rather than the Genesis block. Note, if anyone in the chain attempts to double spin by posting twice, the entire chain after that invalid block will be considered invalid. Using video filters is okay, but any that completely obscure your face may result in your block being considered invalid. Ooh, that's not good, guys. I don't like that part. On June 15th at midnight GMT, whichever clan has the longest chain will receive the clan key, a unique key which should be safeguarded from all other uh, clans. The key will be given not to the person who started the chain to be distributed to clan members or not, according to clan rules. Interesting. I definitely do not like the whole uh, showing your uh, showing your face thing. You should be free not to have to show your face in these in these things. Uh, I don't know what that's about. It's it's a uh, that's actually rather troubling, guys. I wish you would reconsider this particular key, but you know, it, it, it's, it's y'all's treasure hunt. You can do with it what you want. I understand that. I'm just saying, uh, kind of not cool. It's kind of not cool anyway. So, um, let's get into, Oh yeah, that's right. Let's get into terrible joke. Corner. Today's bad joke is brought to you from Bad Joke Cat at Bad Joke Cat on Twitter. What do you call a sleepwalking nun? A Roman Catholic. Because, you know, she's roaming around. Get it? Roman Catholic? Okay, well, whatever. Uh, <laughs> I love terrible jokes. I just, I, I don't know what to say. I love terrible jokes. That's going to do it for me. Hope you guys have a really good rest of your week. Uh, try not to freak out about the price. Apparently, we've exhausted some uh, uh, we've exhausted some FOMO, so that's one of the reasons why the the price is doing what the price is doing. But you know, uh, as the uh, Twitter account did Bitcoin die would always say, 
no, Bitcoin did not die. Um, it's not going to die. So, you know, try not to freak out about all this stuff. We had, we had a pretty good, you know, a pretty good run. I'd, you know, what I'd like to actually see is this whole thing just kind of cool off for about two months, you know, right around bouncing between, you know, 7,500 and 8,200, you know, more accumulation, steady as she goes, steady as she goes. And I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.